I'm Therese Couture, and this is the Embodied Black Girl Podcast, a podcast about decolonizing our imagination, envisioning a new earth, and getting free together. Welcome, welcome, beloved. I'm so happy and so grateful that you're here and joining me for the official first episode of the show. I'm so excited to dive into these conversations with you. And I'm really glad that you're here joining me today. And as I was thinking about, well, how do I start the show? Like, how do you start the first episode? And I really thought, okay, of course, I would love to introduce myself, especially if we're new to one another. But then I went a level deeper. And what I recognized in going a little bit deeper was that culturally, the way that we would introduce ourselves, and when I say culturally, I'm talking about my culture, and I think a lot of BIPOC folks can relate to this, is that when we introduce ourselves, it's in a different way than in the West, right? In Westernized culture. So typically in the West, when someone introduces themselves, it's like, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm, this is what I do. So I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant, I'm a teacher. So that's typically the way we are taught to introduce ourselves in Western culture. However, the way culturally we introduce ourselves is through who we belong to and who belongs to us. And when I say belong, it's not in the sense of ownership. It's in the sense of being part of a community. And that community extends beyond just people, right? It includes animal kin, plant kin, and so forth. So... I really wanted to introduce myself by sharing with you who I am and um, who are some of my people. So again, my name is Therese Couture and I'm the daughter of Pradle and Ernst and I was born in Haiti, which means the Um, the land of mountains or mountainous land. And that's actually the indigenous name that the the people of Aiti reclaimed 
after the revolution. So the stewards of this land were the indigenous Arawak, the Taino, the Saboni, and of course, then came the indigenous Africans who were enslaved. So my ancestors survived the Middle Passage, they survived genocide, and they fought to become the first black country as well as Latin American country to decolonize and free themselves from their oppressors. And that was in 1804. So prior to that, um, some of our people actually fled the brutal conditions of slavery and they came to what is presently known as Louisiana. And that occurred um, during the 17th century. So my grandmother, she would make l'huile palma Christi, and that is uh, also called castor oil. That's the name of it, and which is a remedy for so many things. I love l'huile palma Christi, but she actually, part of our heritage is that she made it. And our land was full of coffee, pitimi, which is also called meal, uh, sweet potatoes, corn, beans, avocados, mangoes, coconuts, cherry trees, apple trees, and salmon in the ocean, red snapper, and the flowers um, that are really connected to us are the orchids, the tulips, hibiscus, as well as um, plants such as ginger. And the ocean, whenever I'm back in the ocean in the Caribbean, I always feel like it's hugging me and bringing me back home. So I come from many, many, many generations of revolutionaries, of medicine people, of people who were stewards of seed, stewards of land, and deeply connected to the natural world as well as the supernatural world as well. So magic is a part of our culture like carnival. And it's really because we are magic. And I truly believe that we all are magic. We all have medicine that we're here to share. And this is really what deeply shapes not only who I am as a person, but it really informs my work, it informs my lens, and it continues to shape me. So I was um, raised on Lenape territory, also known as New York City. So prior to the current incarnation of what New York City is, so prior to gentrification, and I have a love of books and learning and literature. So a lot of writers have greatly influenced who I am. Um, so people like James Baldwin, uh, Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston, Edwidge Danticat, Susan Laurie Parks, Maya Angelou, um, Octavia Butler. There are so many to name, as well as Folks such as Harriet Tubman, 
Toussaint Louverture, Desalines, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela. And my work, in terms of my work, one of my greatest teachers is my little one. I'm the mother of a precious, precious being. His name is Isaiah, and he keeps me on my toes all the time. And for my work, I am a leadership coach. So my work really involves helping us rise in our leadership. And I also identify as being um, an embodiment practitioner, as well as a teacher, a healer, a storyteller, an artist. There's so many things. And the work that I do integrates many different healing or transformational modalities. So I've been doing the work of coaching for this year actually makes it 12 years and um, learning about different energy work and healing modalities for since I was a kid, so over 20 years. And I've been trained uh, and received mentoring in somatic attunement, attachment dynamics, trauma sensitivity, Vipassana meditation, so many other things like shadow work, um, uh, Reiki. So I, I bring all of that together into my work. And really, my work is in devotion to our liberation. And the work that I do, I look at it as um, almost like chiseling a rock and finding finding a diamond inside. And but it's sometimes it's not a rock. Sometimes it's like literally there's a diamond in your hand. It's covered in mud, and you just have to to you have to shine it. You have to take the mud off. So it's really about um, embracing all the different facets of who we are. It's coming out of that cocoon, right? And being a butterfly. It's integrating pieces of, of all of, all of our parts. So that includes reclamation, that includes embodiment, that includes decolonization. And our leadership, I truly believe, is our gift um, that is in service of not only ourselves, but of the whole. And when we are activated in our unique leadership, we have the power to shift the world. And this really brings to mind the words of the Kambihi, Kambahi River Collective and um I want to read this quote that they said or, or that they wrote. They wrote, Black women are inherently valuable, that our liberation is a necessity, not an adjunct to someone else's, but because of our need as human persons for autonomy. And they continue later and later on to share, if Black women were free, it would mean everyone else would be would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all systems of oppression. So which is why I know, I deeply believe that the healing and liberation of black women, of BIPOC people 
is really at the center of what I do because it catalyzes the liberation for everyone. So as I was feeling more into this, um, I was thinking about the lessons that I've learned or that I'm leaning into right now. Yeah, that I'm leaning into. I'm still leaning into to these lessons. And the past year for many of us has been, for all of us, it's been challenging. It's brought us to our knees and it's still not over, right? We're in 2021. I'm recording this. It's February 2021. It's um, Black Liberation Month, Black History Month, Black Futures Month. And there's still so much to do. So the lessons that I'm leaning into right now have to do with community. So since the start of the pandemic, personally, my household size has doubled. So we decided that it was best for our family at a certain point to, to you know, have other family members be with us. So that obviously means like there's a bathroom line in the morning (laughs) and it really makes me realize in doing this for several months now, it's been six months, over six months, how disconnected my life and so many of our lives have become from community, like, and how something like that's so terrible, like the pandemic, it forces us to remember what matters and what matters is community. What matters is that we can't do things alone. And we live in this 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 world, especially the westernized world. When I say world, I really am referring to the westernized world, but however these values are seeping into so many places, they're reaching so many places. And the value of individualism, right? Of hyper-individualism. And that hyper-individualism disconnects us from ourselves, from one another, from our earth. And that's something I'm always looking at within me. Like, you know, how, in what ways do I feel like I need to do things alone? And of course, that's something many of us can relate to because we live in a culture where we're taught to do things alone. And yet the reason that we're taught to do things alone is because there's been, um, there's, it's on purpose, right? First of all, it's on purpose. And the breakdown of community leads to uh, reliance on systems, right? On systems that don't work. Um, it disempowers people. So when we disconnect from our community, it disempowers us, which is why so much of my work is about creating community, creating community, because when we create in community, we are able to tap into our power, right? The collective power as well as the individual power. So that's something I'm always leaning into of like, especially, you know, because of the pandemic and not being able to be face-to-face, how to create community in deeper ways, even virtually. And it's been a challenge and it's still something. And, and I think 
a lot of times the challenge has actually reaped really beautiful rewards and being able to see, oh, wow, we can create community around um, even in this situation. We can create community even though we're not face to face. And that's been really beautiful to see. And um, another thing that I'm I'm leaning into right now is that I'm constantly exploring more about unlearning, untethering, unmapping from what Bell Hooks originally coined as the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. And to be specific about it, what I'm really always looking at, and I've been looking at this for years, is this year I'm like, I'm I'm officially done with perfectionism, like really done with perfectionism. And perfectionism, it goes hand in hand with individualism. Um, perfectionism is about this mythic ideal that really doesn't exist right? It really doesn't exist. We are perfect in the imperfection, like the imperfection is perfection. (laughs) And when we are so, I guess, um, covered or like the veil of the systems, all these systems of oppression um, clouds our vision and we're unable to see the perfection of who we are, the perfection of the other, the perfection of um, the world around us. And we get caught up. You get caught up. So for me, one of those things is really being done with perfectionism. And that comes with like even doing this podcast of it not having to be perfect. Like if I, you know, slip on a word, that's okay, you know, that's okay. And really um, showing up as we are, it gives, obviously it gives everyone else permission to show up as they are. It gives us permission to really be in this space of radical vulnerability, right? Instead of like, I'm this perfect robot, we, we, we are human, right? It allows us to 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 be human. I'm now looking at this book that's on my um that's on my desk that's by um Joy Harjo who's a poet uh and it's and it, the title is how we became human and letting go of all of the ways that colonization has and when I say colonization it's like colonization still hasn't ended it's still going on now um, all the ways that colonization prevents us from being in our full presence, from being in our full power. And another thing that I'm leaning into is constantly loving up my inner child. I'm, I'm just loving up that little girl. And I have a picture of myself on my desk of that that's always there. Um, of when I was just a couple of years old and I was, um, you know, I'm just wearing this, like I'm sitting on the back of my dad's, dad's uh, car and just loving up on that little girl 
And not only that version, but as I grow, loving up on the different ages of that little girl um, that was told that, okay, you had to be, you had to be anything else but who you are, this black girl, right? You had to be anything else but this black little girl. And I look at her and I'm like, oh, wow, you're so perfect. You're so beautiful. I, I really want, if there is anything, I could just tell her, you're so perfect. You're so beautiful as you are. And to, to remember that because the world, and I'm tearing up because the world has, especially for, for black women, disconnects us from the perfection and the beauty of who we are. And it's so important to go back and remember that we are perfect as we are. We're beautiful as we are. And we there's nothing that we need to change. Like our hair is perfect. Our skin is perfect. You know, the color of our skin, the, the size of our hips, everything is perfect as we are. And really being able to embrace that. So I've just been spending a lot of time with my inner child just loving her up as much as possible and that love that i'm giving to her it's it's helping me now right it's helping me now being able to to stand more in my power and what else i i'm also centering my rest <laughs> i'm centering my rest and this is something i've been talking about for years in my work about rest the importance of rest and at the same time i'm centering my rest and i'm also honoring the work i'm here to do in the world and through centering my rest it allows me to show up in the work that i do in the world in a different way right? I, my family, you know, comes from the islands and, you know, people from the islands, I feel like a lot of people from the islands, I'm not going to say bl a blanket statement, but we know how to relax, right? And at the same time, I have to remember that that's, that's a stigmatis stigmatization that also happens, like, you know, people from the islands are lazy. And at the same time, there is also this other, you know, on the other end of the spectrum that people from the islands have a lot of jobs. I don't know if you remember from the 90s that show In Living Color, there was this character that had like a whole bunch of jobs. I believe it was like a Jamaican character that they created that had a bunch of jobs. Um, so yeah, there's that, there's all of those things, like polar opposite things that kind of coexist. And part of that, I'm thinking, as I'm thinking about it right now, it's it's about control, right? It's about control. If you're relaxing too much, oh, that means you're lazy, you know? So it's it's all about control, but not to go too far on a tangent with that. Centering my rest, centering my rest, because my rest especially as a black woman, as black women, oh, our rest is so important, especially for those of us who identify as being descendants of enslaved people. You know, 
our rest is important, is important. So with that, it means not being enslaved to things like social media, not being enslaved to things like hyper-productivity. And I say this knowing that not every one of us has that option, right? I work for myself. And because of that, I have more, um, I can say, okay, this is what I'm going to do and really stick to it. But some of us don't work for ourselves and we work in toxic environments. So that it could be challenging to center our rest while working in toxic environments or working in multiple jobs. So I say that knowing that. And at the same time, what's coming up really clearly is around centering my rest. Like when I'm able to rest, really resting my body, really resting my body. And when I do that, I I notice when the times that I really give myself permission to rest, I show up differently in my relationships. I show up differently with my son. I show up differently um, with my family when I'm out You know, I always try to get out. Um, It's been snowing like so much over here, but on days that I'm able to get out, I really try to get out and rest allows me to even be more present when I'm out in nature too. And I guess I'll share the last thing that I'm leaning into right now. And that really is around trust. Trusting the work I'm here to do in the world. I would consider myself to be more of a grounded optimist. And really, that means no spiritual bypassing because we see so much of that in the wellness, in the spirituality, in the coaching, and even in the mental health fields. And so much of that spiritual bypassing is of BIPOC experiences. And that's that's not me. I'm not going to spiritually bypass myself or others or all the atrocities that occur in the world. And I, my point of view is the work that I'm here to do. Part of it is trusting that my point of view, it does matter. So this kind of goes back to loving up on my, on my little inner child. And And that my stories, my stories, they matter and they need to be shared just as your story matters and needs to be shared. It it really does. So, so much, so many times black women were silenced, right? We're silenced. We're told to, you know, quiet down. You're too loud. You're too, you're too much. You, you're, you're too big. Like it's, always too much, too big, too angry. And part of trusting the the work I'm here to do in the world is actually not, not catering to or cowering to, um, that the white gaze or the male gaze. And that reminds me of when I was 13 years old, I remember I, I was like 12, 13 years old. I was in 
seventh grade, I think it, I was in middle school at the time. And my teacher, my English teacher, she gave us an assignment. And the assignment was that we had to come back in front of class and, and say a speech, right? Write a speech about anything you want and come back and say a speech. So that's what I did. Um, I came back, I did the speech in front of the class. And then the next day, my teacher announced that oh, actually the assignment that you all just did, that was a contest. And I've selected two people from this class that's going to go represent our school in this contest. And I was one of those people that got represented. And so it actually ended up that it was a pretty big deal, like speaking contest. And um, at the time, my, my dad helped me with, with, with um, my speech, you know, with practicing and all that. So I did all the work in writing and what I wanted to talk about. And it was, and one of the pillars of my speech that I spoke about was a woman's right to, to choose whether she wants to have an abortion or not. And that was a, like a, a big chunk of my speech. And I remember practicing this speech with my dad and my dad just nodding his head and I would do it over again. And as I think back on that today as an adult, thinking back on how my dad, even though here I was in middle school talking about the, the, a woman's right to choose with her body, he affirmed that. He didn't say, I agree with you or, you know, or disagree. He just, he affirmed it because he helped me. And in that moment, what I didn't realize and I realize now is that that was like an affirmation of my own agency. It was an affirmation of that I get to have my own point of view. So the the contest like it, this contest i went and i ended up winning like the city wide i went all the way to the the highest point and i was i won it and talking about and i remember being in this in in this auditorium in front of like adults primarily white folks talking about a woman's right to choose and that memory came came up really strongly uh, in the past year or so, not even a year, in the past like six, eight months. And that made me recognize that this is like speaking up is part of who I am. So trusting the work I am here to do in the world has so much to do with not censoring myself. And going back to that time also, whenever I do think, oh, I need to censor myself or I'm being too much or whatever it is, going back to that time and recognizing that I was fortunate that my dad, in him just helping me with this with this um, assignment, with this um, contest, with the speech, it affirmed me as a black, what would be a black woman. It infirm, affirms me today 
So that's really coming up really strongly for me. And I, I think I've been thinking so much about that time of my life, especially since my dad is no longer with me. And actually this month marks um, anniversary of his passing. So I've really been thinking about that. And that's one of the gifts that he gave me without me even realizing that was a gift. So I wanted to close off with a question that I asked everyone in our community. And that question is, what does it mean to be an embodied black girl? And I got dozens and dozens of responses. So if you're in our community, you can actually check it out. If not, you can go to embodiedblackgirlpodcast.com and you'll receive the invite. But um, there are so many beautiful responses. And what I really hope that we're going to explore here together is what it means to be an embodied black girl for women, for femmes, for non-binary folks, for um, and what it, what it means to us individually as well as collectively. And as I sit with that, what came to me is the phrase that embodiment is emancipation. It's, and that emancipation allows me and all of us to show up in the fullness of who we are in, and that means for me, in my womanhood, in my blackness, in my humanity, all of me. It doesn't compartmentalize one part of me. Oh, I like this part. It's all of me. So I really feel like this is a place where we can really embrace all of those parts because we're not meant to be fragmented. We are all whole. We are all beautiful. We have our medicine, our magic, our whole selves to share. And it's also about our joy, our pleasure, and honoring the the sad moments, honoring the grief, honoring the anger, the shame, and not being afraid of any part of us and embracing our full humanity without any apology. So I really want us to, to cultivate that space together. So thank you so much for joining me for this first episode. I really hope that you found something here that served you. And I look forward to connecting again for our next episode. Thanks again. Thank you for listening, beloved. I'm personally inviting you to join our free podcast community over at embodiedblackgirlpodcast.com where you'll receive a beautiful bonus that includes one of my favorite meditations and a powerful affirmation. And if you love this episode, it would mean so much if you shared it and left a written review. It helps folks find us and lets us know what's resonating with you. And of course, be sure to subscribe. Thank you to Beautiful Chorus for our gorgeous theme song, and thank you for being here. I'll talk to you soon. Hey.